So uh, this past Thanksgiving break, um, I actually got to go and stay in a hotel with my family. My wife was going to the Lutheran Educators Conference, and my daughter Bridget and I tagged along. And I did what any hip and with it traveling person does when they go on vacation. I skipped the nightlife. I didn't go see anything. I just sat on the bed and watched TV. And it was during this time that something truly amazing happened. I mean, it's, it's, it's night, I'm flipping through the channels, I've got that little piece of paper, you know, trying to find, and I come across Nick at Night, I think that's great, I'm gonna go to it, and when I go to Nick at Night, a transcendental moment, that's a word I looked it up, transcendental moment happened. Time froze, because I look, and I was shocked to see, not Dick Van Dyke, not I Dream of Genie, but friends. And I'm like just standing there, and I'm, well, technically I'm sitting there, and my mind just goes blank. I'm trying to do mental math of how long ago was this show on the air. I'm, uh, I'm freaking out because I look down at my shirt. I've got a nacho stain from the room service I just ordered. My wife is already beautifully, lovely, passed out, asleep, excuse me. She's asleep. I'm looking over. It says 9.45 on the clock, thinking, you crazy party animal, what are you doing up so late watching TV? This really is a vacation. And suddenly, flooding in my mind... I come to peace because I say, man, they really have changed the programming of Nick at Night, not to show old shows, but hip current shows. So I felt good. I wasn't actually scared. But we're actually going to look at the inaugural episode of Nick at Night, the very first one. Comes to us in John chapter 3, Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night, Nick at Night. Now, pull the covers close, my friends. Let's see what happens. Now, it's important that we remember that John always writes very thematically. He's very different than the rest of the gospel writers. The rest of the gospel writers are going chronological. John is taking themes. He's bringing together events and signs or miracles, and he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to show us something about Jesus. So in order to kind of fully understand this John chapter 3, we're going to need a little context of the text as well as some historical background to really get us going, which is why I'm sitting down today because, you know, i got to dive into the text here. Here we go. So after the prog- uh, prologue, Jesus Jesus is at a wedding. This is John chapter 2. Oh, please, please don't show these just yet. This is, this is secret stuff up there. I'm not ready for that. Now, so we're at, Jesus, we're at John chapter 2. It's not up on the screen. It's not in your bulletin because this is the background, right? This is the background. So stay with me now. So Jesus is at the wedding. The wedding is at Cana. Now, this isn't a romantic wedding love like we're going to pray about for Justin and Jesse who got married yesterday. Weddings back in Jesus' day are formal arrangements of two families for the sole purpose of producing life. And we find Jesus here at this wedding, and not only is he there, but he also keeps the party going by bringing wine out of water, not just a little bit, not just a few glasses, but over 150 gallons of wine Jesus brings. And all of this is just showing one thing. It's the anticipation of the messianic promise, everything that Jesus is going to bring when he does this ministry, this work that he's going to begin. We've got overflowing abundance of life. And then it's immediately followed by Jesus cleansing the temple. Now remember, in the rest of the Gospels, that kind of comes later on. John throws it right here at the beginning. And Jesus is driving out the merchants. He's turning over tables, right? He's telling them that they could destroy the temple, and he can raise it up again in three days. All of this, both these stories have something to do with the idea that change and transformation is coming. And what's coming is a change and a transformation of life. And at the source of that life is the conversation that we're going to look at. Because when Jesus and Nicodemus, Nick at night, get together, 
Division is rampant across Judea right now, especially in the religious circles, and when it comes to how you should be living your life. You got the Romans and the Greeks who are, you know, uh, uh, um, polytheism going on, multiple gods. They're also a little, syncre- uh, 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 there's syncretism going on, which means you kind of take the gods that you want, you add gods to it. Basically, whatever's working for you, add it, and it's all good as long as there's many. You don't want to be poor with just one god. Think, you know, that Mel Brooks movie where he's like, how poor are the Christians? They only have one god, that type of thing. That's what's going on here with the Romans and the Greeks. But for the Jews, there was always the worship of the one true God. But what had happened is we've got little families, little groups that have sated off here. We've got the Pharisees who are all about the oral interpretation of the Torah, Torah being the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, not just the Ten Commandments. You got the Sadducees who are just the Torah. You got the rabbis who are these wandering teachers. You got the zealots who are like these crazy guys who are going to do whatever it takes to destroy Rome. And all of them are kind of competing over these three main ways that you are to worship and follow God. You got the Torah, which we already talked about, right? The five books of Moses, which kind of tell you everything you need to know about God and how to live. You've got ritual purity, which was the whole idea of having to take baths, those dietary observations. You've got the restrictions on the things that you could touch. You've got those stone jars for purification, right? You would fill those up with water for washing. Interesting side note, right? Jesus takes things that are supposed to separate you from and fills them with wine, which kind of brought everybody together. That's kind of interesting. Not too sure what that means. But then finally, the last one, you've got the temple, Now, the temple is important because the temple is where you would offer your prayers and sacrifices, not just annually, even though about a million Jews would come to the temple uh, each year, but it's also for daily stuff as well. And it smells in there. I mean, you've got everything going on and it's crazy. But whoever controls the temple controls the religious culture in Jerusalem. And so you want to have control of the temple. And in the midst of all of this division, in the midst of all of this craziness, in the midst of all this shouting of who's right, who's wrong, and what you should be doing, between Jews and Gentiles, between Rome, between all of these requirements for life, a collision is going to come. It's going to hit ahead. And all of a sudden, there's this crazy man in the wilderness shouting, make straight the way for the Lord. And he's followed by Jesus, who comes in, and offers a new way of life. So now let's take a look at verse 1 and 2. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. That's the Sanhedrin. Those were the elite. These were the guys who would make the decisions when it all push came to shove. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs or the miracles you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus comes at night. Is it because he's embarrassed? He doesn't want to be seen with Jesus? Is it because this was the only time you could actually get a moment with Jesus because he's always surrounded by crowds? Or is John trying to show us something? Is John trying to show us that Nicodemus is in the dark when it comes to his religious ideas about God, about how to live? Verse 3 and 4. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again or born from above. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, first, let's stop and think going back into the womb. Thank you for the years of therapy and the wonderful image, Nicodemus. Not too sure what he's saying, but but perhaps, perhaps Nicodemus is thinking what so many Jews of the day were thinking. And that is the idea that a birth from a Jewish woman 
is what would make a person a child of God. Biological life, not spiritual. And Jesus is going to go on to say that it's not the physical life, but the spiritual. In chapter 6, Jesus is going to say that the flesh counts for nothing. The spirit gives life. And the words that I have spoken to you are full of the spirit and life. It is the complete opposite of a life that would be lived following rules and trying to earn God's merit or earn God's favor or earn God's love. Going against everything of the current day. And maybe it goes a little bit for our life as well, right? Life is only temporary in the physical. I can promise you that if you're looking for meaning or fulfillment in the physical and things, that is only ever going to be temporary. You are constantly going to be seeking and nothing will ever be enough. And Jesus says that when it comes to seeking or seeing the kingdom of God, the dividing factors, the differing opinions, being a Jew or a Gentile, being rich or poor, do not matter. The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In chapter 2, we had the anticipation of life, the anticipation of the abundant life. In chapter 3, we have a rebirth, we have new life. How? By water and the Spirit. Spirit, meaning not by works or birth or status or which group you choose to belong to, but by Christ, as Jesus will tell them in verses 14 and 15. And as Paul says in Titus 3, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that water baptism, not just plain water, but the water that is included in God's command and combined with God's word, a word of promise, a word of forgiveness, a word of salvation. Both of these, water and spirit, are connected to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as Paul says again in Romans 3, and we read almost every time we have a baptism, right? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And this new life is given purely by grace, purely by mercy. And he's got that interesting part about the wind. At the wedding yesterday, it was outside. The wind was very nice. The wind helps cool you down from the sun. Unless it's nighttime, then the wind is very cool. But let me get back to the point about the wind. We don't really see the wind like we don't really see the Holy Spirit. And we see the effects of the wind. We see it going through the trees. We feel it on our skin. So it is with the Spirit. 
We see the effects of the Spirit. We see love. We see joy. We see peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And the work of the Holy Spirit is beyond human comprehension. The Holy Spirit works as it pleases in the rebirth of believers. And we are so thankful that God desires for all mankind to be saved so that the Spirit can work. Verse 9. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we, being Jesus and the prophets, speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. If I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And that's the question, isn't it? The question that Nicodemus couldn't answer We can. How can this be? Through the work of Jesus Christ. And it's funny to think that Nicodemus, who is Israel's teacher, doesn't get it. Because Nicodemus is a study. He's he's reading the scripture. He's going through the prophets. He's going through the Torah. He's going through it all. And here we have in Ezekiel 36 these words from God. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own lands. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you. Israel's teacher missing that. And then he misses the next one too, followed in Ezekiel 37. He said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Pharisees, Sadducees, everyone had been studying the scriptures to hope to find eternal life in it, but these are the very scriptures, as Jesus said, that point to him, the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone, no exclusions here, everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Numbers 21, the people have been arguing and grumbling and complaining about God. Venomous snakes come. They bite the people and the people are dying. The people cry out to be saved. God says, put a snake on a stick, hold it up. The people look to it. They will be saved. I wonder what poisonous snakes are biting you and I, ones that we can't see. I wonder what hinders us. What's keeping us in the dark? And we're invited to look. To look to the cross. To look to him. Hebrews says it this way. Telling us why we look to Jesus. 
Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to that faith that we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We just sang the cross. He calls to us. We look to him. And then you got the money verse. The verse that we see almost everywhere we go. John 3.16, right? Keith Urban sings about it so you know it's a good one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There's a difference between life and life, from being alive and and being alive. Are you following me? And the difference, I think, is at the core, because at the core of our faith is this verse, that God loves us and sent Jesus for us. One thing, love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you are hungry for meaning, if you are hungry for fulfillment, if you are hungry for growth, if that's what you seek, then fix your eyes to the cross, to the one who seeks You, if Lent is all about Jesus' steps and journey to the cross, never forget that the cross is not the end goal. You are his goal. You are what he has in mind. You. He took the condemnation so that you and I could have life. A life of meaning a life that daily rises with him that has been washed and cleansed and a life that expresses itself in love. A life that is overflowing with fulfillment because he has given us everything that we need. Psalm 23 is my favorite piece of scripture. Listen to what the Lord has given you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack Nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you seek a life of growth, he offers it. And while we may live in a time of division, Jesus Christ brings peace and hope and is all about multiplication. He equips us, his people. 
He feeds us, his people, so that we may be sent out and promises that nothing will stop us, not even the gates of hell. will stop the hope and the message that you and I have to bring to the world. What a beautiful section of scripture. Just a conversation between two people. A conversation that is full of life. And I want to invite the band to come forward and lead us in our next song. And as they're making their way up here, I'd invite you to go home and and continue reading the chapter. Chapter 3 closes with a little bit more discussion on the light and darkness. Then you got John the Baptist who's, who's talking about how Everything that we receive is from Jesus who talks and, and kind of brings that whole marriage metaphor, calling Jesus the bride and the bridegroom, that type of thing. And I would encourage you to continue your conversation with Jesus as you pray and as you listen to his word and as it speaks to you and sits in your heart, as he feeds you. And don't ever stop Rejoicing in this life that he has given us. Rejoice and get busy living as part of this multiplying force that goes hand in hand with the gospel message.